0: The story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync.
1: One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry.
0: If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Welcome to another episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We are so excited to be back and kicking it off with another host chat for you. I am your U.S. dental hygienist, Melissa Obrotka.
1: And I'm your Australian dental hygienist, Tabitha.
0: So we're going to start off with um, an episode today on anxiety. If you're new here, Tabitha and I are giant dental nerds. And what we love to do is just dig into different topics and ways that we could advance our patient care. So uh, today's topic on that is going to be anxiety. So we're going to discuss some of the things that we could be aware of uh, for our patients that are suffering with anxiety.
1: Yeah, so we thought this is quite an interesting topic because it obviously affects a lot of our patients. And there's obviously a difference between anxiety and dental anxiety, and today we're going to talk a bit more about anxiety in general and we'll do a special episode dedicated just to dental anxiety. But according to the Mayo Clinic, experiencing occasional anxiety is a normal part of life. However, people with anxiety disorders frequently have intense, excessive, and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. Often anxiety disorders involve repeated episodes of sudden feelings of intense anxiety and fear or terror that reach a peak within minutes and can reach then a panic attack. And I think what's important to remember is that if a patient discloses to you that they have anxiety, if you're someone that's never had a full blown panic attack or suffered from it, not just to dismiss it like, oh yeah, sometimes I feel anxious about things. It's very different to having some normal anxiety to someone who suffers from it from
0: a regular basis. Example, examples of anxiety disorders include general anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, which is a social phobia, specific phobias, and separation anxiety disorder disorder. Uh, you can have more than one form of an anxiety disorder, and some anxieties result from a medical condition that needs treatment. But whatever form of anxiety our patients may have, treatment is available to them and it can help. So some of the symptoms, even if somebody doesn't have that checked off on their medical form that they have anxiety or are aware that they have anxiety, some of the things that we can recognize in their behavior are, you know, seeing their are feeling nervousness, restless or tense, having a sense of impending danger, panic, or doom, uh, having an increased heart rate, breathing rapidly, and these are all part of our you know initial in assessments, right? So we can see and, and gather that detail. Um, sweating, trembling, feeling weak or tired, trouble concentrating or thinking about anything other than present worry, having trouble sleeping, experiencing GI problems, having difficulty controlling worry, and having the urge to avoid things that trigger that anxiety. So, these are a lot of things that we, as the healthcare professionals, have to discern. Is this something that they deal with on a day to day basis? Or is this something that is being triggered by being in our environment and coming to the practice? So there's several types of anxiety
1: disorders that exist. And some of the things that patients might write down on their medical history form are things like agoraphobia, which is a type of anxiety disorder in which they fear or often avoid places or situations that may cause them to panic and make them feel trapped, hopeless or embarrassed. There's anxiety disorder due to medical conditions. This includes symptoms of intense anxiety or panic that are directly caused by a physical health problem. Or there's generalised anxiety disorder, which includes persistent excessive anxiety and worry about activities or events or even ordinary routine issues. The worry is out of proportion to the actual circumstances and it's difficult to control and affects how the patient may feel physically and can often occur along with other anxiety disorders or depression. And there's panic disorder, which involves repeated episodes of sudden feelings of intense anxiety and fear or terror that reach a peak within minutes, so panic attacks. They may have feelings of impending doom, shortness of breath, chest pain, rapid fluttering or pounding heart, so heart palpitations. And these panic attacks may lead to worrying them about this happening again or avoiding situations where they've occurred before as well.
0: Then there's also selective mutism, which is consistent failure of children to speak in certain situations, such as school, even when they speak in other situations, such as home and with close family members. But this can definitely interfere with schoolwork and social functioning. There's separation anxiety disorder, uh, which is also a childhood disorder characterized by anxiety that is excessive for the child's development and level of related to separation from their parents or others that have parental roles. There's social anxiety disorder, uh, also known as social phobia, which includes high levels of anxiety and fear and avoidance in social situations due to feelings of embarrassment, self-consciousness, and concern about being judged or viewed negatively by others, Specific phobias are characterized by major anxiety when you're exposed to a specific object or situation and would have a strong desire to avoid it. Phobias provoke panic attacks in some people. Substance-induced anxiety disorder is characterized by symptoms of intense anxiety or panic that are a direct result of a misuse of drugs, taking certain medications, or being exposed to a toxic substance or withdrawal from drugs. And then other specified anxiety disorder and unspecified anxiety disorder are terms for anxiety or phobias that don't meet exact criteria for any other anxiety disorder, but are significant enough to be uh, distressing I'm sorry, and disruptive. So
1: when we think about the causes, the causes of anxiety disorders aren't fully understood, and it's something that we're still learning a lot about. But life experiences such as traumatic events appear to trigger anxiety disorders in people who are already prone to anxiety, and there can be inherited traits that can also be a factor. When we look at medical causes, for some people, anxiety may be linked to an underlying health issue. In some cases, anxiety signs and symptoms are the first indications of a medical illness. So a doctor may suspect anxiety, um, have a medical cause, so this may lead to other tests and look for other signs of problems, examples of medical problems that can linked to anxiety include heart disease, diabetes, thyroid problems such as hyperthyroidism. And thyroid problems is something like we've chatted a little bit about in a couple of episodes. Melissa and I would really like us to do a full episode on this because I think there's a lot to deep dive into when it comes to thyroid. Respiratory disorders such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, asthma, drug mis- misuse or withdrawal, withdrawal from alcohol, and anxiety medications or other medications, chronic pain or irritable bowel syndrome and rare tumours that produce certain fight or flight hormones as well and sometimes anxiety can be a side effect from certain medications as well Um, and so that's that's really interesting to you know for patients having certain medications that can drive up that feeling for them as well but in some cases that medication is so essential there's nothing that they can really do about it so then we've got a secondary problem with it as well. So it is possible for anxiety maybe due to Due to underlying medical conditions as well. So, um, if you don't, if they don't have a blood relative such as a parent or sibling with an anxiety order, didn't have an anxiety disorder as a child, or don't avoid uh, certain things or situations because of anxiety, but have sudden occurrences of anxiety, this seems unrelated to life events. They may have a,
0: or, or a previous history. This may
1: be more that it's likely to be a medical reason.
0: And then there's also risk factors that may increase your risk for developing an anxiety disorder. Uh, First off, we have trauma, which could be from childhood or uh, enduring some kind of abuse or trauma or witnessed a traumatic event. People uh, in this category are at higher risk for developing anxiety disorder at some point in life. Adults who experience a traumatic event also can develop anxiety disorders. Stress due to an illness. Having a health condition or serious illness can cause significant worry about issues such as your treatment and your future stress buildup. So a big event or a buildup or of smaller stressful life situations may trigger an excessive anxiety. For example, a death in the family, work stress, or ongoing worry about finances, personality. People with certain personality types are more prone to anxiety disorders than others. We see this often in the dental office and uh, other mental health disorders. People with other mental health disorders, such as depression, often also have anxiety disorder. When you have blood relatives with an anxiety disorder, it can absolutely uh, run in the family. And then, again, drug or alcohol use or misuse or withdrawal can cause or worsen anxiety. Some of the complications that we see with having an anxiety disorder... Uh, does more than just make you worry. It can also lead to worsen or other medical or, or physical conditions such as depression. Like we were just saying, there's kind of almost like a bi directional relationship with anxiety and depression or other um, mental health disorders. Substance misuse, uh, trouble sleeping, exam- ins- having insomnia. Um, it's kind of like, again, a bi directional relationship, right? If you have anxiety and that's keeping you awake at night, but you're not sleeping, that's going to create, you know, more anxiety during the day. You're just going to feel like, you know, you're not rested and you can't function, uh, just dis- digestive or bowel problems, headaches and chronic pain, social isolation problems, functioning at school or work, poor quality of life, or even suicidal thoughts. So like, it's really interesting because, uh, And Tabitha and I say this often, like if you just go back to that medical intake form and you kind of use that motivational interviewing approach and you ask specific questions, because patients, we all know, I think that the science says that they omit like 80% of their medical history and they don't do it on purpose. They do it because um, they just don't think it's relative to what we're talking about, but we know better, right? So if we just kind of reframe the way we do our medical intake, we can kind of gather some of this data before we even go there and and you know how many medical uh, forms in your practices say uh, ask about quality of sleep which we know has so much to do with a malampati and, and airway but also it can give us a little gateway into this as well so there's a lot of ways we could just take this information and really um, up level the way we do yeah especially in the
1: when you think about um, I've definitely noticed this in patients. Especially my patients that have had things like cancer, it has really then triggered anxiety about health in general for them and sometimes their immediate family members as well. So, um, you know, thinking about the way we present oral diseases even to those patients because they can be quite anxious about everything that's going on because they're in a life and death situation. Like, no wonder they have anxiety. You know, it's a really stressful thing happening to them. But having that back in the mind that, When someone's going through such a complex medical, and it may not be cancer, it could be something else, but it can really then trigger other anxiety issues for them and then give them a whole health-related anxiety as well. And it can also trigger some medical anxiety because when someone's getting so many appointments, so many needles prodded all the time, they can actually not become more comfortable with it but less comfortable and get more anxiety from the constant prodding. So I think having that at the back of your mind as well, that patients that are going through something medically, it can really trigger anxiety for dental as well. When they might have not been an anxious dental patient before and now all of a sudden they become like that. And I've definitely seen that in some of my patients who weren't dental anxiety and then they've gone through cancer and have kind of got that along the way as a side effect
0: from everything else that's going on. As you were saying that, I was thinking of like three or four different patients in my head where I had the same exact experience and they would often say like, I used to not have this problem. I'm such a baby and they kind of like talk down about themselves and it's so important for us at that point to like let them feel in control and I often say to those patients, you know what, not every day is a good day and we can try this but if it's just not working today, there's nothing wrong with that. You raise your hand and say, you know what, I just can't do this today and we'll, we'll schedule you another day to come back. Yeah. and I know some offices would not give you the freedom to do that because they're very production driven, but again, it's all it's about the human, you know, interaction and we're we're here in healthcare and it should be about making that experience the best we could for that person that's in the chair.
1: And I think this relates back to about how we always talk about how important it is to keep updating the medical history because patients don't stay exactly the same. You know, things change in their life and you know, talking personally about where they talked about trauma, this is definitely something I've experienced. Someone that didn't experience a lot of anxiety and after losing our daughter last year, I've experienced anxiety about the safety of the kids and what are they doing and I'm more anxious in situations they might get hurt and I know that I have to try and control that anxiety but it's definitely, I find it hard to control sometimes. So, Events can happen in our patients' lives, things change, and they may never have been an ancient patient. And now all of a sudden they are because this is why we've got to keep updating that medical history, keep talking to our patients, keep treating them, you know, like things are changing. We can't just go back to that 10-year-old medical history form and go, this is what we had, you know. And this is why chatting is so important. You know, I hear all the time you can save time, you can reduce your appointment. I have no problem with doing things that save you time, but I'm not an advocate for reducing your appointment because I think that great, if you can do a procedure faster, that's fantastic, but it can give you more time to get to know your patient, to build relationships, for them to maybe divulge stuff that you wouldn't have found out so that you can treat them as a functional, you know, I really like that functional health term that we treat these patients full body And we're really looking at functional dentistry. It's not just a mouth. And someone posted on Instagram this morning, and I really liked it. Can't have a healthy body with a sick mouth. You can't.
0: It's not possible. And you can't have a healthy mouth. You know, I I
1: always yeah, can't have a healthy mouth with a sick body. So it's it's bidirectional, and we have to start thinking whole body all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so imperative. And you know what, there's certain things that we can demand. We're practitioners, right? We have our own schedule. We have our own patients. It's your license. So, you know, when you learn something and you go and you want to implement it, but you kind of get deflated because now it's giving you anxiety because you're like, I know I'm going to get pushback from my office manager, from this one, from that one. And I don't, I already maxed out on my time. You have to remember too, like, you know, part of our burnout and the anxiety we feel and how we get frustrated with our prof- our profession is what we allow other people to dictate to us. So, you know, it's important to take a stand. If you have a mission to provide a specific type of care to your patients and you're getting pushed back because of time or, you know, production or people don't want to do their piece in it because we're all a cog in a machine and we have to work together. Then, you know, it's time to have a conversation and 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 really sit down and say, look, this is the kind of care I want to provide. I felt that this practice was on that same philosophy, but now we're not like on the same page. How do we get back there and and have these conversations? And yes, they might, like I said, induce you a bit of anxiety, but what's, what's worse, dealing with the anxiety every day, walking into work or having those Sunday, like, I got to go to work on Monday and I feel like garbage and I don't want to do this kind of feeling or, or taking control and creating environment and doing the kind of care, providing the kind of care you want to provide to your patients. So like, um, I know sometimes maybe some of the things we say, you might be listening and saying, okay, that sounds awesome. But in my practice, that's hundred percent unrealistic. And, uh, 2023 to me should be the year that you, you take control and you do you. And if it doesn't work where you are, then go find someplace that it will. We are in the highest demand we've ever been people ever. Yep. So, and it's not about leveraging salary either. You know what? Like I'm not talking like, oh, just go and like try to get like $75 per hour because I mean, I'm, I'm hearing that where I am. And that's, to me, that's kind of crazy. I'd love to have that job. However, <laughs> you know, it's not about leveraging the money. It's about being in environments where you can provide healthcare and you feel good about the care you're providing. It's a, it's a like even exchange, between and you're not feeling anxiety every day. So I know I kind of digress. That's what we do here. Sorry about that. Well, but, to add um... to that, I just,
1: <laughs> I'm changing practices. I'm starting at a new practice next week and I've taken a pay cut um, because I wanted to go somewhere where I would be happier clinically. So for me, you know, yeah, obviously I've, got to, I've done that too. We've got to pay our bills and uh, it's not always an option for people, but I had the option to take a small, a, a bit of a, a pay cut, but to be ha- more happy career-wise and patient-wise and fulfilled. And um, I decided that, you know, it's not a huge pay cut, but it's still it's still a little bit less. But I'm, I just think I'm going to be happier overall. And that is really, really important to me because I don't think you should underestimate how it makes you feel and go back to your own anxiety, how you are feeling as a clinician, how you feel every day getting up, um, how much that can mm-hmm. really affect you. And sometimes it isn't until you leave an environment where you're really unhappy that you realise how much it was affecting you physically and emotionally and psychologically Um, because sometimes when we're swept up in the moment of it, we're just, just swimming and we're learning, we're just surviving through it and when we step away we go, whoa, that was affecting my relationships with my friends, with my family, with my kids, all of these things. And they're things that we talk about patients a lot but it is really important that as clinicians we're also looking after our own mental health and our own physical health because we can't provide that kind of healthcare if we're not in a good place ourselves as well. So that that is something really important. Oh. And I think we should do a whole episode on this about our own mental health, because I think this is something really important to speak about, but um, it is important that we're looking after it as well.
0: Definitely. Yeah.
1: So right, Tab, you're yeah. on
0: prevention. Yeah, so <laughs> when we look
1: at prevention, because I moved my page and now I can't find it,
0: that there's no way to
1: predict for um, certain what will cause someone to develop an anxiety disorder but you can take steps to reduce the impact or symptoms if you're anxious so get help early don't be afraid to say you're not okay it's okay to be not okay so that is really important that like any thinking about anxiety just like diabetes or high blood pressure or something like that it's a medical condition that we go seek help for So that is fine to go do that. Stay active, participate in activities that you enjoy and make you feel good about yourself. Enjoy social interactions, caring relationships, which can lessen your worries. Avoid alcohol and drug use. Alcohol and drug use can cause or worsen anxiety. And if you're addicted to any substances, quitting can make you anxious, obviously, but seek help for quitting and helping with that as well. Um, so the first step is seeing your primary care provider, like your GP or something like that, so that you can get that referral to the psychologist looking at diet and exercise. I really think these are all things that play such a huge role in how we feel. And it isn't just about popping tablets. Obviously I think medication is needed in some cases and you should take it, but I think we should also be looking at how we're, what we're putting into our body in combination with those medications as well. Um, and so, making sure you're getting a proper evaluation from a medical professional is really important. And I think this is where we can talk a little bit about too. Um, when patients divulge to you that they're anxious or that you know they're they're having panic attacks, just asking simple questions like, "Are you seeing somebody?" You know, "Have you spoken to your yeah. GP?" And just raising those little things might be the the thing that makes that patient go maybe I should go see my GP or it is okay to talk, you know, to go get to seek medical treatment for this. So, um, you know, we can't take over a patient's psychological care. That's not our area. That's not our scope. But we can definitely refer them to their GP, recommend that they see their psychologist and make sure that we're doing things like that. So
0: I'll hand it over to Melissa for psychotherapy. So psychotherapy is also known as talk therapy or psychological counseling. Psychotherapy can include working with a therapist to reduce your anxiety symptoms and it can be effective treatment for anxiety. It's kind of like think about like the things we talk about getting to the root cause. That's really where, you know, a pill can help manage the symptoms, but psychotherapy is going to help like dissect that root cause of why you're having anxiety. Cognitive behavioral therapy, which is also known as CBT, is the most effective form of psychotherapy for anxiety disorders. Generally, it's a short-term treatment, and CBT focuses on teaching you specific skills to improve your symptoms and gradually return to your activities you've avoided because of your anxiety. CBT includes exposure therapy in which you gradually encounter an object or situation that triggers your anxiety, so you build confidence that you can manage the situation and anxiety symptoms. And then we also have medications. So there are several types of medications that are used to help relieve symptoms, depending on the type of anxiety disorder that you are experiencing, whether you also have any other mental or physical health issues. So some examples are certain antidepressants can be used to treat anxiety disorders and anti-anxiety medication, um, many different uh, medications could be prescribed. In some circumstances, your doctor may prescribe other types of medications, such as ses- sedatives, um, benzodiapines, or beta blockers. These medications are for short-term relief of anxiety symptoms and are not intended for long-term use. So absolutely, you know, talking with your doctor, uh, seeing what options are available for you, and then also asking questions of what are the side effects of these medications. Um, it was really funny, not funny, but an interesting uh just realization when Tabitha was here to visit for Thanksgiving um, she had remarked about some of the commercials on TV here about like how we advertise for drugs here in America and um, they talk about like the 27 different you know complications you might feel when you take these medications and it's always and we've all seen these commercials here like you know call your doctor or discontinue medication if you're starting to have suicidal thoughts or things like that and it's I mean, it's just interesting to kind of laugh about the difference between our countries and how we advertise things, and how I think it's not legal for you to do that in Australia, right?
1: We don't, brands don't advertise, like, take my depression medication. Like, definitely not. What I found more hilarious was they'd be walking along the beach, and then it's like, may cause anal seeping.
0: And I'm like, who's going to take this drug? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? The side effects are always like so much worse than the actual condition you're trying to cure. Yeah. It's crazy. It's. I mean, it's it's funny, but it's not funny because that's that's what our country does. That's American medicine. You have a problem, pop a pill. Now you have another problem because of that problem. Well, here's another pill. Take that pill too, and we just keep compounding the effects, but we never actually identify the root cause. And um, that's that's really you know going back to what Tabitha said that functional approach, not only to dentistry but medicine, and and treating the whole human being and not just here's a problem, here's a here's a way to to treat the symptom. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's really. It's really interesting. And the other piece of it too, um, you know, I see this with my patients coming in. I see this at, at school with the patients that I'm working with the students on the laundry list of anxiety medications or depressive medications that these patients are on are huge. So even just, you know, again, medical history, looking at that. And if you don't recognize the medication, that's okay. You don't have to be a walking pharmacology encyclopedia. Ask questions. What do you, I see you're on this medicine, Mr. Jones. What is that for? you know not the end of the world and then you can at least now you know and you have you can have this conversation about it
1: yeah so now yes so next, yeah, so next we're going to talk about mental health and or, and perio and periodontal disease like how does this maybe affect those patients that have it what we will see inside the mouth as well so mental health disorders are associated with more severe periodontal disease and in some cases poor healing outcomes for non non-sur- surgical periodontal therapy and so this is something to have in the back of your mind. You know, I had a patient um, a little while ago. It's actually one of my case presentations that I give when I'm teaching perio. So it, I was seeing a husband and wife and they were new to the practice and this is what it comes down to, getting to know your patient. So both of them had all of a sudden um, had been regular tenders in another practice. They'd come to see us because they'd moved Um, So they were moving practices as well. And all of a sudden had both had perio for the first time. When I dug into what was going on in their life, because both of them had fairly good oral hygiene and the biofilm to inflammation ratio was out of whack. And so I was like, there's something going on here when I saw her. Now, her um, sister was in palliative care and had a couple of weeks left to live from breast cancer. She'd just finished her last chemo um, for herself having breast cancer and the week before her son got diagnosed with incurable blood cancer. Now, um, I don't know how anyone suffers so much stress in their life. And obviously the husband came to me with lots of stuff going on as well, but he's experiencing all this stress too. So I had to just openly say to them, I don't know if we can really get the results that we want to get with the type of stress that you have in your life at the moment. We'll we'll do what we can do, and we might just have to keep seeing you at a short interval for a bit longer. And really, part of your treatment for your perio is ways that you can manage your stress. What are some healthy ways that you can manage your stress? Because that's actually going to be how we treat your perio as well. Because with those levels of stress, I don't think we can get the results and. I don't think it's appropriate to tell someone whose child is dying, um, just make sure you interproximate clean every night. Like that's not their number one priority, let's be honest. Like obviously I gave her oral hygiene instructions and I want her to do it, but I'm not going to write her about it. Like she's got so much going on in her life. I think we just have to remember that our patients are human and she's just trying to survive the day every day at the moment so if she doesn't get her teeth brushed I'm not going to be like well you know I just had to really factor that into my treatment planning she's probably not going to brush as well as I want she's going to have an exaggerated response to the biofilm you know there's there's going to be that and I and from my own personal experience as well I know when my daughter passed away I don't think I brushed my teeth every day I didn't get dressed every day do you know what I mean like I Someone came to the house, I remember my cousin came to stay with me, and she said, oh, I was really impressed you had clothes on. I said, I've had these on for four days. I, You know, like, like I wasn't even having a shower every day, let alone brushing my teeth every day, and I got gingivitis really badly. Like, now, I was really lucky that I was like, oh, God, I've got gingivitis. I better get in there and brush and water, irrigate and do all these things. But it's not that I don't even understand the importance of doing it. It just wasn't on my mind. I had a million other things, plus stress and other stuff going on. So I totally understand how a patient can just all of a sudden be a really compliant patient and then maybe fall off the wagon completely and stop doing stuff. But I think if you've got a patient coming in and they've got a lot of stress going on, we have to be realistic. And I say this as well to my patients: We never heal a patient; We put them into remission. And I say that to them. Just, I want to put you into remission. Now, life may throw some things at you. Your stress may peak. It could be work-related, it could be family-related, could be health-related. You may have a health problem and your perio will leave remission. And I think that's important that our mm-hmm. patients understand that, that stress and, and the way they're looking after their body can affect the way that we tackle their perio. So, their disease. And then, so yeah. then they understand, I may have to see you more frequently during these times. You know, once a patient has perio, they have it for life. That's it. It's there. And I think a lot of people. Say that
0: again, sister. Don't understand that.
1: Because. Yeah. And I don't think we communicate it well enough as health professionals.
0: I don't think our profession understands it, to be honest. I was in a forum a couple of weeks ago on Facebook, and people were talking about after doing, you know, I like to say it's non surgical periodontal therapy. You and I use that term all the time. Everyone else, well, not everyone, but a lot of people call it scaling root cleaning. But people are talking about going back in the US, our coding for health is a D1110, it's a prophylaxis. And they were like, no, they returned to health. We put them on a prophylaxis. Once you have a compromised periodontium, you're not healthy. We're, it's just exactly what you said. It's disease remission. Sorry, I had to add my two cents yeah. in there.
1: No, but it is. And I think we have to get better at patients understanding that. I think too many patients come in, have their non-surgical periodontal therapy, and then think they can disappear and never come back again. They're healed, um, you know, and they're not. Uh, we're just trying to get them to a place where we can keep them stable. And whilst we can return them to, you know, no bleeding on probing and reducing those pocket depths, and we have them, at a, at a stage of health, they're still at that risk forever of it reoccurring and coming back. And I think that's really important that we have those discussions. When, As I discussed, um, you know, stress and, and the trauma that I went through really affected my behaviour modification. And this can do this to patients with mental health, with depression and anxiety as well. Um, so they could have more poor oral hygiene practices Some patients may take up more tobacco smoking, um, smoking more heavily um, or consuming more alcohol. You know, we see this in a lot of people where they use alcohol to manage their anxiety because if they have a couple of drinks, that'll get rid of their anxiety to maybe go to that social situation or do things like that. Um, and these are all risk factors, that's smoking and alcohol as well. So we can have that anxiety, increased smoking, increased alcohol, then increasing those perio-risk factors again together. And then along with the poor behavior modifications, then, you know, we've got the perfect storm. Um, stress has an immuno uh, immunology, so it can affect the way our immune system works as well. It affects the regulating of the immune production and stress markers such as Cortisol, and I'm going to say this wrong, uh, catamines may modulate periodontal bacterial growth in the expression of the virulence factors and stress in some mental health disorders are accompanied by a low-grade chronic inflammation that may be involved in the relationship with periodontal disease and vice versa. So this is really important. Like if a patient puts down that they've got anxiety, do we talk about, you know, end depression or mental health problems? Do we talk about that, you know, if they've got a lowered immune system, they could have a more exaggerated response to that biofilm. Are we having those discussions and a patients realizing that when they're really stressed out, they can have that exaggerated response and we really need that meticulous
0: oral hygiene instructions more than ever. And, you know, that's where disclosing is such an effective educational tool because you could disclose a patient and they could have mostly like pink biofilm, which is immature biofilm throughout when you do that bacterial analysis, but yet you have, like you were saying, this exaggerated periodontal response, but low volume, uh, mature biofilms. So that's a great way for you to connect the dots as the clinician and be like, Hey, something more is going on here. And even, like I said, if they didn't disclose it in their medical history, it's a great time to have a conversation that, you know, as I assessed your your tissue, you had bleeding points and and deeper pocket depths. But as I did this bacterial analysis, I see that you don't really have the type of bacteria present in your mouth that should cause this reaction. So now I have to dig a little bit deeper and see like, what else is going on in your life? Is there stress? Is there this? Is there that? And and they might open up to you at that point and they might get emotional. So be prepared for that as well. Um, But you know, you could just listen and be there for them and be supportive. Ask them if it's okay to give them a hug and and create a plan that's like Tabitha said, that's going to fit in their life right now and tiny little incremental, you know, this is the best we could do right now. And that's totally fine yeah. during this time. If you can come in more so I can help you, let's, let's schedule that if possible. Um, and then if not, we will do our best when you do come in and to take care of you and get you back to a place where you're healthy. This um, is- but yeah, I think it's just important.
1: This is why I love the grading the, in the new classification. Well, it's not new. It's from Yes, I did see it. I did giggle when someone launched a webinar this week, understanding the new classification system. I'm like, all right, it's six years old. It's not new. It's not <laughs> new. new. Yeah. Just saying, understanding the six-year-old system. Like, But anyway, I love <laughs> the grading because I think it really, for once, we're taking this into the diagnosis of, when we see yeah. that exaggerated response, you're at a higher risk. And I have laminated the grading, and I actually like to show it to the patient. And so many times, like you said, Melissa, I've said to the patient, you know, you're a really good You And sometimes I even say, I think you might be better than me. You know, like, I'll make sure I let <laughs> them know. I think their blood control is really good. You're doing an excellent job. I don't see anything on your medical history here, like your medical history that we've done at the beginning of the appointment, points to you being quite healthy. So there's something else going on here. And that's when I say to them, so is there some stress or maybe we need to have a blood panel done because there's something underlying. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times patients will disclose to me, actually, I'm going through something at the moment. And it might be their mum's dying or, you know, they've just had a divorce. Um, You know, I've just broken up with my partner. We're separating. You know, all of these life issues come out and they're usually going through something really heavy and you go, uh-huh, I think it's this.
0: No, it makes sense. And, and then yeah, you say to yeah. them,
1: and I then I have a talk to them and say, when you're this stressed, it's affecting your whole immune system, your whole body. You're in this fight-fight situation all the time. You've got too much cortisol. Your body is just exhausted you need to look at some ways and then i say to them you know depending on the level of stress that they're maybe it's that you need to reduce your work hours and have some better work-life balance actually i'm gonna say and sometimes i say this my prescription is you need to get out there and have some fun look <laughs> you know you're too stressed yes. you're too much going when they say it's work related and they're working 18 hour days six days a week i'm like you need this it, it, it's affecting you or i say to them you know you need to look at some healthy ways of managing your stress because we're seeing it manifest in your mouth. Or I might say, I think you really need to go see your GP and get a mental health plan because we're really seeing some negative effects and I can see this is really affecting your life. But, you know, you can have these really honest conversations with your patient and they often won't disclose some of this stuff because they think that's my social life, this is my medical life and they don't, they don't mix and they don't realise no. that, These things happening in their social life can affect their medical life quite significantly. And so by having those honest, open conversations and just letting them even know that, they can be like, wow, I actually might start yoga or start walking so that I've got some me time and I've got some things, you know, little things like that can start making a huge difference in their overall health.
0: Absolutely. And you just gave me the perfect segue into defining stress. So the term stress describes the effect of the uh, psychosocial and environmental factors on the physical and or mental well-being. These psychosocial and environmental factors are known as stressors, and they challenge the organism's normal homeostatic mechanisms, which then will elicit, elicit a set of physiological reactions. So in situations where stress is acute, the response initiates the host immune system for subsequent challenge. By contrast, chronic stress may result in long-term inflammatory processes that can contribute to disease either locally or systemically, such as diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and periodontitis. So patients who present with chronic periodontitis show significantly higher percentages of high anxiety and phobia than subjects that are in control groups that did not. In addition, patients with chronic periodontitis were significantly more likely to consider themselves as suffering from dental anxiety, which is an interesting crossover fact. Um, We see an association between chronic periodontitis and anxiety. However, there's a biological mechanism and associations that were not yet explored in this study. Uh, Recently, a meta-analysis showed that periodontitis was positively correlated with anxiety, with uh, the authors of this study suggesting links to health risk behaviors and changes in the hypothalamic, oh boy, I don't know that I could even say this correctly, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access activity. That was a mouthful for this early in the morning. Um, And we will also, in the show notes, we're going to link the studies that we're sharing with you here. Yep
1: and so then when we think about mental health and the microbiome currently not no one factor can be implicated in mental health disorders instead it's thought to be an interaction of many factors as we've talked about earlier in the episode. Increasingly research is evaluating the influence of the microbiome on mental and neurological health with the majority of the interest being on the gut microbiome. It is hypothesized that the gut microbiome can communicate and influence the brain through the gut-brain axis and a logical extension of this is that the oral cavity brain axis, which has been explored in particularly in the last five years. When we look at the gut-brain axis, the complex bidirectional interactions and processes utilized by the gut microbiome to the brain to communicate, integrating the gut function and the cognitive and emotional centers of the brain. Increased permeability of the intestine, otherwise known as leaky gut is thought to occur through immune activation enteroendocrine signaling and enteric reflux, allowing microbial me- me- uh, metabolites into the bloodstream. And so we know the mouth, the gut, the brain, it's all. And this is a really, I think this is what makes me so excited about dental is we're just learning so much all the time about that mouth-to-gut, gut-to-brain connection. And I think we're going to start learning a lot more about this as we move on. Um, we know we haven't really covered dental phobia today because we really want to do a full episode on that and i'd also like to get i've been chatting with um the australians will know who she is is that some of the americans won't will be uh dr roisin murphy who's the head of um melbourne boh program but she actually has a phd in mental health um, and oral health and she's a qualified first aid mental health trainer as well and she does a lot of training on how clinicians, for us, how, we, how do we cope when patients dis- disclose so many heavy things to us? And I think this is something that I, yeah. I found really difficult when I first became a new grad practitioner because I felt like we didn't get set up for this at all, all upon graduation. I think some universities and colleges are starting to talk about it, but especially when Melissa and I went through, there was zero... No one told me that I could bring a patient in and they sit down and tell me they're thinking about killing themselves or telling me all these heavy stories. And then we have no training on how to actually deal with the heavy information that's given to us. So I think that's a really important subject, but also deserves an episode of its own, because I think it's something that we have to look after ourselves when we have these patients divulge so much stuff to us. It can be really overwhelming And I think that we'll definitely do an episode on that as well as how we look after our mental health when patients are giving us such heavy information. Because some days it can feel really heavy at the end of the day. Like You can walk out and just feel emotionally exhausted from the anxious patient, the anxious patient that presented as the rude patient, the information that they've given you or the way they've acted because you're not seeing the real patient, you're seeing that anxious patient So it can be a tough day. I I know that there's days that you get to the end and you just think, oh, I'm mentally drained. Mm -hmm. And we have to have healthy ways of coping with that as well so that we don't then end up developing, um, you know, too much stress in our own life from our work. So I think that's a really important episode that we'll try and follow up with um, soon so that I think that could really help a lot of practitioners. I know it's something I wish we had got training for when we were at university.
0: Yeah, that's definitely I think a a, a new hygienist, um, just piece of the puzzle that you don't pre- you're not prepared for and you don't realize it's going to happen. I mean, it does happen from time to time in in the academic clinic environment, but we we don't have time to really uh, put those skills into you in the way that like a two year hygiene program is structured here in the states. So uh, it's a little bit difficult to prepare new hygienists for those that that exact situation. Yeah, um, but. You know, There's so many spin-off episodes just from this episode alone, uh, digging in more of how the microbiome is connected to mental health. So, so be on the lookout. We're going to keep on keeping on. You know your two girls here love to learn, and we're giant nerds, like I said in the beginning of the episode. So we will be making sure that we follow up and we get uh, more education on these particular topics within this overarching topic So thank you again for listening. And before we sign off, I just want to take a moment to recognize my dear friend here for just being so vulnerable and open about your own experience. I absolutely love how you take something in your life and you share and you raise awareness. And I just want to say not only from myself, but from everyone that listens to our podcast. Thank you for just your heart and your openness and your your ability to share that you're an incredible human being and i love you with all my heart
1: thank you (laughs) no i uh you're welcome i think that you know the more that we can realize our patients are just like us we're all going through something you know everyone is so just be kind where you can and realize that um, there's a big picture going on that sometimes we're not really aware of
0: Absolutely. There's three sides to everything that you see. Yeah. And you just have to be aware of that, you know. Yeah. So, uh again, thank you for being on this journey with us. I can't believe we're in year 3. I season know. 3. Like this is bananas. It's kind of crazy. Like Yeah, it's <laughs> very exciting. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, our little passion project has has grown. So yeah. it's exciting. We've got some really cool things coming up in 2023. Um, a new look to be seen pretty soon as well. So we're excited about that as also. But I, again, none of this, you know, we were just doing it and hoping somebody would listen and you guys are listening. So it's so incredible. So thank you so much for all your support, your feedback. Uh, your comments, your um, reviews. We really, really love them all. So thank you so much for being on this journey with us and until next time, keep on disrupting. disrupting. Bye. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the disrupting dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers and we'd love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening.
0: Keep on disrupting.